absolutely. It depends on the uh, COR of the flagstick, so the Coefficient Restitution flagstick. In U.S. Opens, I'll take it out, and uh, every other tour event, when it's uh, fiberglass, I'll leave it in and bounce that ball against the flagstick if I need to. Hey everyone, Dan here. Uh, this episode's uh, very different from what we've done in the past. It's a two-part episode with Miss Christina Kim, uh, literally an L- icon on the LPGA Tour. So the episode ran so long, we had such a good time recording it, that we split it into two parts. So the first part is, is her and I really just talking about life in general and almost no golf whatsoever. And that's going to drop today. And then on Wednesday... We're going to drop the second part, which gets a little bit more in into the golf world. But it's just such an awesome insight to talk with an LPGA Tour superstar who's been doing this for 19 years now. I mean, you think about that. It's more than half her time on this earth. She's been a pro golfer. Um, she's had ups and downs, and she's been through it all from Solheim Cup star to multiple-time winner. And and this year alone, she started with two top tens, and then 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 the year just kind of went defunct, you know, with everything that we've been going through. So I hope this brightens your day. I hope this brightens your week up a little bit. She's an awesome, entertaining individual. So great to talk to. I you know I consider her a friend, and and I'm very thankful for it. Uh, wherever you are, hopefully you're staying safe. Hopefully everyone around you is safe, and you're getting through this. And hopefully this can brighten up your day just a little bit. So here is part one of our Christina Kim podcast. Welcome back, podcast patrons, to another episode of Leave the Pin Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Dan, and we got an awesome guest tonight. Super excited. I've known her for quite a while. We've got Miss Christina Kim. Christina, what's going on? Hi, Dan. Honestly, not much. I'm uh, I'm, I'm here in Florida, so um, we have not closed down the golf courses. My golf club, anyway, is a uh, small private club, so they have uh, been able to maintain, um, you know, the golf course and stay open um but i'm doing really really well how are you doing how how cold is it up there uh so today it's like you know low 40s and rain and the entire east coast it's just rainy well the northeast it's raining i'm assuming it's what 80 something down there I'm not gonna lie i think it was supposed to peak at like 94 today and i don't see a cloud in the sky so i would normally complain that it's too hot and too sunny but i'm going to refrain from doing that because i'm in a much 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 more golf conducive climate than you are at the moment yeah um let me ask you this what are you doing during this this complete and utter shutdown of everything in the world what are you doing to to stay on top of the game are you doing anything you're just taking the time off to relax what's what's kind of going on in your life um, no, I'm actually, like I said, you know, uh, where we are right now, they haven't closed down golf courses. So I'm actually grinding away. I'm, uh, practicing playing pretty much every day. I've got a couple of my buddies I play with almost every single day. Um, a young kid, Brendan Valdez, who signed with Auburn as a freshman. He is now, t- uh, coming toward the end of his junior year in high school. He's going to be starting online schooling, um, because these kids got to keep getting an education on Monday. So we're just cramming in as much golf as we can. And so for the last week, it's been nothing but golf uh, because I wasn't entirely sure as to whether or not there was going to be a shutdown. So I was like, hey, we can only take Mondays off, but why don't we go play like minimum of 18 holes just in case this might be our last round. Um, So it's been a lot of golf, a lot of working out, um, you know, visiting, you know, we we are technically in shelter in place. So all of the non-essential shops have been closed. So, you know, no cruising down at the mall, 
Um, there's no cruising down the street in my six, four can't go to the movies, <laughs> things like that. So just, you know, I mean, but for me, the way I see it is, you know, we're, we're encountering a challenge, um, and everyone for the most part has been doing a very good job of maintaining social distance. Um, so everyone's doing the best that they can. And, you know, whenever I encounter a challenge, instead of just being, you know, poo poo about it, I try and figure out how I can overcome it and face it with a sense of excitement. So I'm pretty excited, you know, I mean, I'm, we're all doing our best. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's honestly, it's just the new normal at, at this point in time, you know, I mean, you've got to understand that it's going to go on for a while. It, it's the new normal for whatever your life entails and just kind of embrace it and deal with it. Absolutely. And I mean, I'm, I'm very grateful because I've got friends that are down in Palm beach County down near like the, you know, that hashtag jupe life, which I don't partake in where the entire County has been um, put in shelter in place. So a lot of those courses are closed down Obviously, the, 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 the whole of the basically the whole of the West Coast, you know, I mean, Washington, California, they're they're in, um, you know, in a very different situation than we are here. So I know a lot of the girls that are over there and the gentlemen that are over there, like I know Max Homa must be losing his damn mind right about now. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I mean, and, and obviously everything that's going on in New York, as, as tragic as everything is, it's, you know, just just really realizing that I'm in a much better place than. Um, a lot of people in this country, a lot of people in this world, I've still got my health right now. You know, I, I, I feel great. Um, I came back from the West Coast, uh, you know, almost two weeks ago, and I, I told my parents, I was like, hey, you know what? We're not, I'm not going to come anywhere near you. Like, I, I don't want to risk it. They're both, you know, in that, they're both over 65. And so I said, I'm not here to, even if I feel good, that's not to say I may not be carrying the, the virus at this stage. So, it's it's weird. I mean, I've been home for two weeks and I have not given my parents a hug. Um, you know, I'm basically walking around like Molly Shannon and Superstar. Like my arms are stuck to my armpits just so that my grubby little fingers don't touch things. And I'm a very tactile person. So the fact that I can't touch my friends, touch like walls even, because you don't know what you're going to pick up or what you're going to leave behind. It's, you know, it's it's been pretty crazy. But again, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very grateful and very very lucky to be able to say that quote unquote, these are the issues I have in my life. I'm very lucky in that sense. Yeah. I, I understand wanting that sense of connection. Uh, my wife took the boys for a walk yesterday. We have friends that live yeah, a little bit down the block there. And, uh, you know, we called them and said, Hey, can you be outside? And they kind of sat in like this, you know, circle together, but like eight, 10 feet apart and talking. Mm-hmm. It was just, you know, smiles over everyone's faces just to be able to see each other again and not have to communicate, you know, electronically or online or through a video game or something like that. It's just something, definitely something about that, that human interaction, that connection that just really kind of, you know, people feed off of it is very yeah. difficult when you don't get that. Absolutely. I mean, that's what, in my opinion, in so many ways, that's what defines humanity, you know I mean? And just, just being alive is that sense of community. Like I've, you know, I've spent uh, the last several days, I've FaceTimed with you know, all of the really important people in my life that I, that I don't see every day. So, you know, all my friends, all two of them, like I was able to FaceTime and, <laughs> you know, it's just making sure everyone's okay because, you know, I'm, I'm not going stir crazy because I, I understand that one, this is so important that we maintain social distancing, that we are smart about what we do, the movements that we make, um, you know, but at the same time, like I sit there and I'm like, I can't even imagine what other people are going through where they're legitimately unable to leave their house. Like I've been watching, uh, you know, like Trevor Noah on the daily show, Seth Meyers, 
Jimmy Fallon, um, Stephen Colbert, John Oliver, like just just knowing that, you know, one, they've got, you know, they're used to live studio audiences. And then all of a sudden now they're legitimately in their house. Like Trevor has not left his house for 13 days. Maybe today will be 14. I'm not sure. It's it, it's it's. I try to empathize as much as I can with people, but unless you're actually experiencing that yourself, you can't sit there and say, I understand. So I empathize with everyone and I can only imagine how difficult it must be for everyone. Yeah, it's, it, it's you know, unprecedented. Uh, you know, my, my best friend who is the best man in my wedding, his brother uh, was diagnosed with it and has been inside his apartment, like not out in the fresh air at all for two straight weeks now. Uh, oh you know, you, you think about something like that, and it's like, okay, a golf course is closed. I mean, I can, I can deal with that for a little bit, you know. Yeah, you're not, you're not isolated in in a bubble. Like it's, you know, and that's the thing. Like you sit there and and you don't realize how much we take for granted. You know, just the uh, ability to be like, hey, you know what? I think I'm a little low on sharpie. So at my next tournament, I want to make sure that I have enough sharpies to sign autographs. I'll just swing by Office Depot because there's a specific one that I want. Or hey, I'm starting to get bored right now. Why don't I go to Michaels or Joanne Fabrics and start crafting something? And it's like, nope, can't because those are closed. You know, it's it's crazy. Like and like one of my um, exercise bands snapped yesterday. So I was like, okay, well, so. Boom, went to Target. Boom, went to Walmart. Boom, was online looking at all these different shops to see if I can get something delivered. Going on Amazon, and it's like nothing that I want is able to be delivered. And it's like, you know, I'm like, one, again, like, it's not the end of the world. I'm just going to do everything with an uber-heavy strap. So I'm either going to get completely jacked in this period of time, or I'm going to just be doing things incorrectly. So I'm hoping for the former, not the latter. But, you know, again, like, these are the fact that I'm able to have this kind of problem compared to a lot of other people, you know, it's just like, it's all about perspective, you know? Yeah. You'll be giving Bryson a run for his money soon enough. Yeah. Nah, he's beefing <laughs> up. I'm trying to trim <laughs> down, man. Are you kidding me? Hey, I mean, you know, people I'm sure, you know, have seen on your Instagram and stuff. And, and at the beginning of this year, when play was going on, um, you've literally transformed yourself. I mean, I watched your Instagram live, uh, down in Orlando, your, 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 your fitness, your workout there. Uh, what was the catalyst for that? Um, well, to be honest, like, you know, I've, I've worked out my entire life off and on, um, but, uh, about seven months ago, like I, you know, we have, we, cause we, <laughs> I can't really say it was a long, hard stretch because whenever the season does start back up again, we're probably going to have zero weeks off. So I, I'm, I'm, yeah, it's going to be a grind. Back. Yeah. So, uh, last year, you know, I think it was something like 10 or 11 in a row or nine out of 11 weeks or something like that. Just boom, 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 going, going, going. And, you know, I, I mean, growing, there's no, I mean, there, I have no shame in admitting it. Like I was a sugar monster. Like, you know, I wasn't very well educated on, um, macros and things like that. And I just remember like, you know, I spoke with a couple of people that are really close to me. A couple of my friends had, uh, converted to the keto lifestyle. And I was sat there and I'm like, you know what? I'm just so sick and tired of being shackled by all of these sugars in my life because I, you know, you don't think about it, but there's like in one 12 ounce can of, you know, name brand soda, there's like 41 grams of sugar. And that means that there's 41 grams of carbs. And so I started looking into the keto lifestyle and it was like, you're supposed to be consuming, you know, not supposed to, but you, you know, it, it, one version of it says, you know, if you're going to take this route, you know, go with 30 grams of carbs net or less. And I was like, 
So I could have like two thirds of a can of soda and no other carbs in essence. <laughs> and I was right. like, wow. And, you know, I was so used to, you know, and I mean, I, I, I know I'm not the only one, but I was so used to, like, you go to the grocery store and, you know, they've got the candy aisle right at the register. Like, I, it, it was, it was, it, and the soda on the other side. And you're just like, you don't even think about it. You're like, oh, yeah, I'll grab a Snickers bar. Like, you know, that'll be fun to, you know, nibble on that or whatever. And if you do that every time you go to the grocery store, like, you don't realize what you're consuming. And I had done the paleo lifestyle a few years back and, you know, absolutely fell in love with it. But eventually, you know, like the potatoes started coming back in, the bread started coming back in. And I, for a long time, I was like, yeah, but I just, I love the taste of potatoes and I love the taste of bread. And can I swear on this podcast? Um, we usually don't, but you're the guest and this is your episode, so you can. Okay, so then I was like, bitch, no, you don't. You like the sugar, you like the salt, you like the butter, you like the cream and mashed potatoes. You like the lettuce, you like the meats, you like the mayo and the cheese in your sandwiches. Like, I just realized that all of these things I thought I liked, it was actually, they were just vehicles for what I actually wanted. Which I, I, I thought I was a sugar monster. My taste buds have completely changed and altered. I love salt and I love fat. So, um, you know, throughout this process, I just told myself, like, I was mentally exhausted. I was physically exhausted. I was emotionally drained. And I said, you know what? What the hell? Why don't we just give this a try? Like, what's the worst that could happen? Like, what are you going to read? Headline, professional golfer dies from overdosing on olive oil and butter. Or <laughs> she had one, you know, like, in quotation marks, she had one too many avocados. Like, if, if that's the way that I go... That's the way that I go. At least it'll be quick and like my arteries, you know, whatever. But I, um, you know, I converted to the, the keto lifestyle after the Scottish Open. And I basically just stayed and hibernated for four days. Like I was basically inadvertently doing an intermittent fasting where I was pretty much asleep for 17 hours a day and up for maybe seven hours a day. Because I just, everything was so, so drained. And I said... I'm just going to listen to my body. You know, I've got a couple of weeks off. I'm just going to listen to my body and whatever my body wants, we'll just roll with it. What the hell? Why not? Um, and oh, I'm sorry, this was the week before the Scottish Open. And so then I, you know, I mean, I was having like uh, walnuts and like macadamia nuts. I'd be nibbling on a couple of those every now and again. But other than that, just just zonked out, you know, watching a little bit of TV um, staying on, like, you know, checking social media, things like that. And then after those four days, I was like, okay, I think, you know, and just chugging water, chugging water. And I, and so I was like, okay, let's just, let's see how it goes. And then I, I got up and I was like, I think I'm ready to emerge from my den and start foraging for food. Let's see what is going on. And I think that kicked me into ketosis through that intermittent fasting because I did not really suffer from the keto flu, which is one of the side effects of um, transitioning into the keto lifestyle because, you know, I mean, I'm sure it's easy to look up, but basically your body goes from consuming and converting carbohydrates and turning that into energy to putting your body into starvation mode and your body saying our two options are we can allow ourselves to die or we will adapt and find something else to convert into energy. And so because I was basically comatose for four days, um, that allows my body to adapt quickly and say, okay, you know what? She's got a shit ton of fat lying around everywhere. We don't have to work that hard because we're not going to have to search for all the proteins. We're not going to have to search for carbohydrates that are no longer in our system. Let's just let's just take this fat and convert it into energy. And um, so, you know, when I when I emerged from my hibernation, it was it, it, it kind of happened pretty quickly. 
And so for me, the way that I thought about it, again, you know, if that's how I go, that's how I go and it's fine. I've had a good run. It doesn't matter. And also, um, you know, the ketogenic lifestyle was created uh, in the 20s or the 40s to help combat, uh, to help people combat um, epilepsy and seizures because they said, you know, they were thinking that, you know, your brain is a globular organ that's comprised of about 60% fats. And so what if we were to take the things that your brain is made out of and flood your system with them? What would happen? And so what happens is your body goes into ketosis. And then the way I see it is I'm just, I'm just pretty much feeding my brain and my brain is telling my body to go do things, run, do this, do that, you know, go work out, go play golf, whatever, whatever, because your brain really is the powerhouse of everything. And so for me, you know, in these last seven months, I've had so much mental clarity. I've had, um, you know, I mean, because I never went in wanting to lose weight. I said, if that's a happy byproduct, fine, I don't care. Because I, I always tell people that, you know, it's, you know, I, I have the opposite of body image dysmorphia. It's not that I look in the mirror and I say, oh, my God, you fat piece of whatever. You know, you're never going to amount to anything, this, that, whatever, whatever. You look horrible. Why would anyone want to hang out with you or whatever? It was more I would sit there and I'd be like, hey, you know what? You got a lot of you got a lot of body because you got a good heart and you need enough body to be able to contain said heart. You're a good person and that's really all that matters. And so to this day, I look in the mirror and I, I don't see any difference. Like I say, you're still a good person. You care about people. You ask how they're doing, and when you ask, you actually want to know how they're doing. You're empathetic. You um, you know love to play golf. You're pretty damn good at the game. You've worked really hard at your game. You should be proud of the fact that you can play golf. And, you know, whatever happens on the outside, like none of that matters. But, you know, I mean, I've, I've dropped, I've, you know, I've dropped over 50 pounds at this point. Again, I don't notice it just, I'm still me. I'm just still some dude is the way that I see it. And um, yeah, I mean, I guess, I mean, you know, it's like when I see myself at my largest, I'm like, oh yeah, there's a couple extra chins, but you were still a good person back then. Like I, I I'm not, I, I don't, I'm not really that superficial or materialistic when it comes to things like that. So um, it's been a lot of fun, though. Like, it's just amazing now because I, I sit there and I'm like, for me, like, strawberries that are, like, half green and starting to turn red are too sweet for me, which is, for me, the biggest thing. Like, the fact that I was able to release the shackles that sugar had on me, and now I feel like I'm free. And now that I feel like I can legitimately do anything, and so, I will do anything. What's your, what's your go-to snack now on the course? During a round. Um, let's see. On course, um, I have protein bars that are keto friendly. I have protein shakes that are keto friendly. Um, you know, during tournament rounds is primarily shakes, bars. I'll have one of each, and um, either pilly nuts, which are a nut that's like a complete. It's it's the most beautiful nut in the world, but they're not easy to come by because they're still like you know a new superfood trend or whatever. But I came across them last year. Um, or otherwise walnuts, macadamia nuts, pecans, um, almonds are, almonds are great, but compared to that sort of creamy, fatty sort of satisfying sensation you get from eating macadamia nuts, they, they don't, they don't fill me with the same joy that a lot of other nuts do. And, um, so I'll have nuts, I'll have, um, bars and shakes, but like right now, especially since we're in this, um, absolutely insane period of history i've actually because i you know you never know because the you know the, the the shelter in place just went into effect on this last thursday evening at 
at 11 p.m. So I went buck wild. I went on Amazon. I purchased a food dehydrator. I went to my local uh, Whole Foods and Fresh Market, and I bought zucchinis, uh, cauliflower, broccoli, asparagus, radishes, tomatoes, um, some blackberries. Those are those are pretty much what I have for dessert because it's just it's so it's so so sweet. Um, and then I'm going to be dicing them. So last night I took my tomatoes and sliced them up real thin with a mandolin and then dehydrated them to the point of like, just like fall leaves in, you know, at the end of November, like to a crisp. And I'm going to pop them in a blender, turn them into a fine powder. And then I'm going to use that powder along with a bunch of other spices and some Parmesan cheese. And then I'm going to make zucchini chips that are pizza flavored. So I'm just like, I'm so excited right now. I like, this is like my new thing. This is like the closest I think I'll ever get to being like a doomsdayer. I'm just like, I'm going to grab a bunch of food. I'm going to dehydrate it. And then I, that way I know I'm going to have, you know, foods that were at the peak of freshness for them in terms of like nutrients and things like that. And then I'll be able to have those year round. So some people is, pickle and can. I like to dehydrate and grind. Gotcha. Is, is, is cooking, baking, stuff like that, is that, is that a passion, a hobby of yours? Absolutely. I, um, you know, like we were just Q series a couple months ago and I had rented an Airbnb just because I want, you know, I've been doing Airbnb for so, so long, uh, the last several years, just because, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm coming into my 18th year on the LPGA tour, 19th year as a professional golfer. And you just get so sick and tired of being stuck in a hotel room and paying, you know, anywhere from 150 to $250 a night. And you're just given four walls and a toilet basically. And so for the same amount of money, if not less, you can have several bedrooms, you can have a full kitchen, you can have a living space and like you, you, you actually feel like you, you have a semblance of home. So I've really gotten into cooking the last few years. And at Q-Series, like I was uh, making big batches of food. Like I did these like braised short ribs with this like incredible like reduction sauce. And did oh, a that sounds fantastic. Yeah. Like, and this was like between two rounds of tournament golf. This was early in the week. This was like between two rounds of golf. Like I've gotten to the point where food and cooking have become meditation for me because the way I see it, the, like the reality is food is life because without food, we die. So food for me is the key to life. And, um, you know, and I love to share that food with people. Like I, you know, our, our physical therapists, our, our physio trainers, they're, they're there from like five 30 in the morning until like seven, seven 30 at night, every single day, just grinding, having girls freaking out on them because it's Q series or a really important tournament or this or that they are, you know, they help to, um, fix and tr as well as train our bodies, but they're also therapists and they're like, we didn't sign. I, my assumption is, or like, we didn't sign up for this. So the least <laughs> I could do is provide them with, you know, what, again, what I would consider quote unquote life. So what, you know, a couple of times I did the brace short ribs a couple of times I did, um, some, um, some chicken thighs, like some lemon, lemon, rosemary, chicken thighs, this and that, whatever. Like, and it's just crazy. Like what you can do if you just have a couple of key staple ingredients with you at all times and just, you know, finding whether it's a good butcher or, you know, finding just like good fresh cuts of meat and like the world is your oyster, man. Like it's, it's unbelievable how much like joy food can bring to me, whether I'm consuming it or providing it for someone else. But I, fucking love cooking. I'm sorry for swearing, but I fucking love cooking. It is, it, it's, it's life for me. We, we, I had, uh, Haley Moore on and I know you and her are good friends. Hey, and, uh, 
you know, she was, we were talking about how she's kind of getting into cooking and stuff and how she wants to kind of like master spices and whatnot. And I asked her, I said, if you had to eat just kind of one thing or cook one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be? And so her answer was Mexican food. So I'll ask you that same exact thing. If you had to cook in one style, let's say for the rest of your life, what would it be? I have this question with um, people in my life all the time. I always say, let's presume that you are on death row for a crime you quote you surely didn't commit, but you're you're presented with your last meal, and it's not any of that bull crap of like you have a maximum stipend of like twelve dollars and seventy three cents or whatever it is that our ridiculous judicial system sets for these people before they're put to death. But what would your last meal be? And so for me, it's I mean it's just got to be a beautiful, medium, rare, to just outside of rare, ribeye steak with a compound butter on top, um, mashed cauliflower, and, I mean, honestly, I always joke, but, like, realistically, I would want to have, like, a a five-gallon tub of butter, because I'm like, if you guys are going to put me to death, (laughs) I'm going to try and see if I can beat you to the punch. Um, But, no, steak steak is, is my passion is my passion. And thankfully with the lifestyle that I've, I've been, um, you know, transforming my whole life into, I'm, I can still have steak. Like I can still have the things that I, that I, especially now my taste buds have changed. It's, it's not, you know, like anything that has sugar in it, I immediately like recognize and it it is too sweet for me. But you know, I, I, I always worry. I'm like, at what point does it become an eating disorder? Like I just, I no longer enjoy the taste of this now. Like your taste buds, your cells transform every seven years. So I'm like, my taste buds have changed. Like I just, I love that sort of, you know, that full mouth feeling that something that's got fat and protein gives you. So for me, like, I just like, you know, like now I've got like a, I've got like a one pint tub, not one pint tub, but like a one pint cup thing of like keto friendly ice cream that normally I could kill ice cream in a single sitting. And now it takes me two weeks to get through it and I'm just like half the time I'm like nah I don't want it I'll go have you know a, 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 a full fat string cheese instead or I'll have um, you know some MCT oil or something like that or I'll, I'll grab a fistful of cheese or something but no I I would love I mean it, it, and even if I was only forced to cook red ribeyes for the rest of my life I would be the happiest person in the world because I'd be like oh we'll go Pittsburgh's cook style here I'll do the reverse sear on this one we'll do a little sous vide like we'll we'll pop it on the grill we'll do it on a cast iron skillet we'll put it on a pan like you know and oh and then if we're going to do it on a grill we can do it with with uh, propane we can do it with charcoal we can do it you know on an open pit like there's there's like an endless amount of opportunities in which you can do it and honestly I don't even need the compound butter I can just do salt and pepper because then, you know, it's just like, just if it's well marbled and you can just truly taste the flavor of the meat. Oh, my God. I'm sorry to all of all of your vegan followers. And, and, and <laughs> I am sorry. But quick segue, I am when I go back to New Zealand, um, hopefully this winter, if, you know, with everything, hopefully everything starts calming down with, with this tragedy that we're undergoing right now. I do plan on at least attending a hunt just so that I can determine if I'm able to undergo the entire process of when an animal is alive to when it's put on a plate in front of me. Because I, I remember a couple of years ago, I went fishing and everything was good and fine. You know, we were fishing off the beach and it was all fine and dandy and everything until someone pulled out the knife. And then I dropped the rod and ran away. So 
you know, I think it's it's important to understand. Like you think about it, like grocery stores, they don't say, "Here's this cut of cow," you know, like or this is, you know, you've got chicken thighs and chicken breasts and things like that, but otherwise it's like chicken fillets, chicken cutlet, you know, things like that. Or you have pork, you don't have pig. And so I think there's there is something to be said about truly understanding the entire process that goes into an animal being alive, see it moving, you see it living, you see it breathing, and then, you know, choosing to hopefully graciously ending its life so that you would be able to consume it, gutting it, and um, going through the entire process before it gets put on the table. So, you know, to all my vegan, all my vegan peeps, who knows? In about a year's time, maybe I will follow suit. But uh, as of right now, I think that that would be important to at least understand whether or not that's something that I can go through. Yeah, it's a it's a difficult process, and I think most most um, true hunters, not not sport hunters, but um, but sustenance hunters will will tell you that it's uh, you know a, a deep bond, a connection between yourself and the animal's life that you're taking in order to kind of you know sustain your own life and your family's own life. So that's a good point. There's there's you know obviously a ton of documentaries out there that if people don't want to watch and everyone's in the house nowadays, they can just fling on Netflix or Amazon Prime or Hulu or whatnot. And uh, there's a, a ton that you can watch which which may change your mind for it. I'm not saying for or against. I'm an enormous meat eater. I'm, I'm not going to change, but I can stomach the idea of where it comes from. You know, I'm, I've kind of um, reconciled with that fact that, right. that, you know, I need that in order to survive. And, and, you know, I'm okay with my spot on the food chain. My wife will tell you that I, I would probably die before I could turn into a vegan or even a vegetarian. I mean, I've tried both before. I remember I went vegan for eight weeks and gained 10 pounds. It was some bullshit. <laughs> I, was, I was not going about it the right way. I was basically just eating vegan muffins for, for like 10 weeks <laughs> so or like corn, and that was it. But that being said, completely, I can go for hours about this, but like corn to a certain extent could technically be deemed, you know, if you want to go deep into it, not vegan, because you're talking about secondary death of you know, all these crops are no longer being um, farmed because corn is cheap, corn is quick, corn has a, you know, very quick turnaround in terms of, um, you know, how it can be produced and mass produced for people's consumption. So you're in essence killing the ability to farm other whole foods as well, um, you know, and and, I, and then we can talk about like oysters and other other animals that are, are non-sentient beings that, you know, it, it, we can go we can go all about it. Like, are crickets, would that be deemed vegan? Like, long, long, you know, it, it's just they, because we don't know whether or not they have a sense of consciousness. Like, who are we to say what is and what isn't? Um, I'm not here to judge anybody because everyone's on their own path. And, you know, I, I think it's wonderful when people have, uh, you know, that, that moral compass that tells them this is something that I firmly believe in because there's so many people that are so wishy-washy that they, you know, are, are, will, they'll, they'll do something, you know, which I think is really sad. They'll do something because it's trendy or, you know, they, they won't fully go deeply in depth into something. Um, but yeah, I, I am, I am, I am a carnivore with omnivore tendencies is probably the best way to put it. <laughs> um, last summer, the boys had gotten in trouble down in North Carolina at our place down there. I don't remember what they were doing, getting on each other's nerves or something like that. So Allie and I decided, you know what? We're going to do a mom and dad date. You're staying home. There's, you know, there's, you keep your electronics on so we can get in touch with you, but you don't leave. You take the dog out when you need and, and we're leaving. So we went up to this nice town, Southport, North Carolina and spent the day outside. It was great. And we bought them 
they were like, I, 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 I don't want to, it wasn't Tabasco, but it was like hot crickets, you know, like the ones that are, <laughs> you know, like fried. And so when we got home, we sent them a text and we're like, get plates out. We brought home your dinner. And so they got plates out and they set the table and everything. And I said, make sure you have a drink. And then we opened up this little box and threw one cricket each on, on their plates. And they were like, what's this? I said, this is your dinner. I said, eat it. And I, these things were fantastic. Once they got fat, you know, once they got past the fact that it was an insect that we see out on the grass, like they were really good. That's awesome. I, I, I still, I, 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 you know, birds are descendants of dinosaurs. I still swear to God, insects are descendants of aliens. So I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> you know, if something is able to take flight or at least get up in the air higher than I can, like I'll just give them the deed to my house. I, I'm. I, I don't trust things like that. Creepy crawlies. Like, I'm going to stay out of your space as long as you stay out of mine. Not scared of snakes, though, funnily enough. Uh, Tyler, the creator who does all of our kind yeah. of uh, visual media for us mm -hmm. here on the podcast, is deathly afraid of snakes. Now, I have, I have a uh, royal python who is, I don't know, probably just under four feet now, and he won't even go into the den where his cage is. Now, mind you, the cage has locks on the top, and him and I were playing uh, the nine-hole course I was telling you about before we started recording that was open, and it's nine holes, but there's a second set of tees when you play it the second time around, so it makes the holes a little bit different, different pars, different distances, et cetera, et cetera. And so we're walking up to the 10th hole, and he stops and grabs me. And, I, you know, <laughs> and I, my, my head's down. I'm, you know, I'm fumbling in my pocket to get tees or whatnot, I was like, dude, what, what's going on? He's like, uh, uh, he's like, get, get, get it out of the path, get it out of the path. And I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm going, dude, what is there? It was like a nine inch garter snake. Oh, that's see, I swear to God, guys do the majority of guys do not like snakes and I don't understand it whatsoever. Like just, you can just take a hard turn, right? Yeah. You can just step over it and just walk around. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, not don't step over it, though, because that, that might cause stress to the animal. Just maintain a safe space and just practice social distancing around animals <laughs> that you're not comfortable around. You know, it's, it's good practice for life in general. Well, that I had to... adorable, though. Yeah, I had to I had to play, you know, snake charmer. So I just, you know, grabbed it by the tail and just moved it off to the side. And we get up to the tee box and, and he goes, hey, he says, is, is my fear really that irrational? I was like, dude, it's insane. It's absolutely insane that this was literally not much bigger than maybe the biggest you know uh earthworm that you've seen well i will say though because i have what i deem an irrational fear of deep ocean deep open water i don't think his fear of snakes is necessarily irrational but it's just uh it's something deep and primal within a lot of people like i sit there and i'm like my two favorite things on earth are honestly oxygen and without any hydrogen attached and gravity and gravity that's working in my favor not gravity that's trying to pull me down to the bottom of the ocean so i i when i was in new zealand a couple months ago with uh, my boyfriend duncan we were um we went to go do abalone diving and you know we all everything was set up like you know his friend is it worked he works for the abalone um industry and he brought some wetsuits he brought flippers he brought snorkels because it's illegal to um, dive for abalone if you have like a, a scuba tank attached you, it's only free diving where you can use a snorkel and had flippers and everything and it was all good and dandy we were out there we, we were like 30 minutes 
out into the water. So as far as I know, we were probably closer to San Francisco than we were to New Zealand, <laughs> even though we were probably like <laughs> two miles or something like that. And we uh, we post up, and everything's fine and dandy. Put on the wetsuit; it actually fit. I was I'm not gonna lie; I was actually pretty happy about that. And then put some flippers on, and they were they were they were, they were big. And I was like, I'm pretty sure your feet are supposed to hurt because they're so tight. But whatever. And so we go in, and, and beforehand, his friend Barry, I was he's I was asking him, I was like, well, you know, how deep is the water? He's like, oh, it's about 10 meters, so 30, 33 feet. And I was like, all right, cool, 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 cool. Um, I am going going to be utilizing these flippers like nobody's business to make sure that I stay, you know, close to the surface. And so he, he hops in and he's off doing his thing and I hop in and he's really close by. And the flippers, as soon as I hit the waters, the flippers fell right off and went straight down to the bottom of the ocean. And I had an actual panic attack because I was like, I had the, the snorkel in my mouth and I'm screaming at the top of my lungs with the snorkel still in my mouth. And like the flippers fell off, but it's now like, oh, 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 oh. and he's like, what? And I'm like, oh, 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 oh. and again, I'm in a wetsuit. So I'm very buoyant. And the water, you know, the top of the water line is probably about up to my chest. And he's like, what? And so I ripped the snorkel off and I say the flippers fell off and then immediately put the snorkel back in because obviously that was my only lifeline to oxygen. <laughs> and he, so he goes down, dives down there. And I'm just like, you know, like having a panic attack. And I'm just like, go ahead, help me. I'll, I'll be okay. I'm just going to hang hang out by the by the boat or whatever. And I was like, how do we get back on the boat? Because it had inflatable sides. It was like a proper boat with um, uh, inflatable sides on on it. And he was like, oh, well, he's like, it's super easy. Like, all you got to do is you see these ropes on the side of the boat. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, you grab onto the, the ropes and you pull yourself up while simultaneously kicking your flippers because the flippers will propel you out of the water. And I'm like, girl, what am I supposed to do if my flippers don't stay on my feet? And so I ended up in the water for like 30 minutes, just hanging on to a rope, like, you know, like floating on the water face down, like looking at everything and watching the fish go by and everything. But I could not for the life of me get, get up onto the boat because my arms were so tired. So um, Barry was basically pushing me up from my bum and Duncan was pulling my arms up. And then like, I basically just, it was like, it was like uh, the deadliest catch basically by the time I got out, I just like flopped onto the boat and I was like, this is fun. That's the yeah. That's that sounds like something out of a sitcom. Yeah, pretty much. But no, that's just my real life. That's just you know, that's just a that's just a thir a Thursday in New Zealand for me. See, I can I can I can almost I can get behind you know kind of the deep ocean when you don't see land, and I get that. Uh, and I'll tell you a quick story. And and I'm a I would consider myself a very good swimmer. I mean, I'm a I'm a, a water kid. You know, I grew up at at the at the beach. And I spend all summer there. I, I can't get enough of it. But I was snorkeling in Hawaii years back and it was real real shallow five six feet you could see the bottom and we were to snorkel out about a hundred yards or so to basically what amounts to like an underwater cavern where you can't see anything and the water goes from real real clear to as you start to get to it you just see see blackness it's just navy blue at the bottom and you can start to make out the outline of the underground crater and so you're swimming in five to six feet of water and then it gets to like maybe 10 or 12 but nothing that you can't see the bottom but the crater goes down like 300 feet so you can't see anything and when we started to swim above it literally i felt like i was falling now mind you totally buoyant totally competent swimmer and then as soon as i swam over the edge of that underground crater i literally like froze in the water went into like almost shock, like panic, like you mentioned, and then kind of was like, okay, dummy, like you're floating, you're not sinking. But 
what freaked me out there, there was this enormous grouper that, and I say enormous, <laughs> they, they, they get to like 600 pounds. This yeah, one was oh, probably, yeah. yeah, this one was probably like 35 pounds. <laughs> but in, in my eyes, it was the same size as me, you know, and it swam up from the bottom. And I was like, what monstrosities live down <laughs> in this crater? Um, you know, we get back on the boat and the guy's like, oh, did anyone see anything? And I was like, I saw this grouper. It was like three times my size. And the guy was like, oh, I saw that one too, dude. Now I think it was like two feet. <laughs> <laughs> well, two things. One, when it comes to something like that, where you're going through a cat, going by a cavern, for all we know, realistically, we might all just be swimming in a, you know, a, a, a giant alien god's some sentient, some massive beings bathtub. So who knows if that's a drink? So I'm <laughs> right there with you. And um, secondly, um, yeah, I don't remember what the second thing was. But no, I'm I'm right there with you. But again, I oh, I'm already built like a harbor seal when I'm outside of the water. I do not need to be introducing something that might be like tempting <laughs> to a large creature with teeth when I'm in there, especially when they live down there and my skills, I can swim, but I, it's not like I'm going to be able to like out swim a shark or anything like that. So I'm, I'm okay. My Harbor seal ass is very happy above the water. Um, but it's, uh, yeah. And also, I mean, we left, we left the water billions of years ago. You know, I think, I think we're, I think we're okay. Like you can let them have it. You can let them yeah. have it. It's, it's just doing... like the snakes. Don't disturb them. You keep your distance. I'll stay up above the water line. You can hang out down below if you want. And, you know, let's just let's just respect one another and never shall the two meet. Right. We're doing pretty good on land. And it, it always amazes me at no matter how fit you get, how strong, how great your, your cardiovascular endurance gets. Like in terms of, you know, the animal world, which we're a part of, it, it always blows my mind at just how weak even the strongest of us are. And and this is going off tangent a bunch, but you know, I'm sure like everyone else, we watched Tiger King and to see like the size of these cats and even, you know, ones that are like nine or ten months old that are just like at any given time, they could just rip your face off if they want. Like just for fun. With a single swipe. With a single swipe. I did not see Tiger King, but I did listen to the podcast over my dead body that went way in depth into everything that took place. So I, I have in my mind's eye already what, what, what happened. And I'm, I'm worried that if I were to actually watch a documentary that it would glance over certain aspects of it or, you know, people that were involved in it. That it, it was like when I watched, um, or uh, what was it, Dan Brown's book, uh, not Angels and Demons, The Da Vinci Code. I'm like, yes. I'm really, yeah, I'm like, I'm really like, like Tom, Tommy, you, 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 you're one of the greatest actors of all time, but you are not Robert Langley in my mind's eye. I'm really, really sorry. So well, kind of let me tell you that the visuals in the Tiger King might honestly surpass whatever crazy concoction of an idea that you can come up in your head because every episode it's it's literally like nah, this is not it it's really going to it's going to go this way. Yeah, it's going this way. And then it's even more over the top than than you could even imagine. Like it's it's just it's it's perfect um Ozarks, it's perfect Florida. You know, like it's just backcountry any any single type of um idea you have or mindset that you can think of that deals with Florida, 
or that deals with people that might, you know, live in the Ozarks, like this is it times a million. That's remarkable. I mean, I do know what, what Joe Exotic and was it Carol? I do know what they look like because Joe's got that he he got that big old mullet and he's his, his his you look at them you look at his physique and then he opens his mouth and the two do not seem like that like it looks like whenever he speaks it looks like it's been dubbed by like the most wrong human being you could actually have to voice him but I I we'll see we'll see I'll text you if I do end up watching it yeah it's uh I I, I believe I can't imagine someone not enjoying I mean obviously there's some stereotypes in there and some you know, language and things that I get at people will get upset upon. But I think once you understand like the intelligence of these people, which obviously does not exist at all, um, and and where they come from, I you can kind of understand. Um, hey, listen, let me ask you this. This is something I've always wondered when I've talked with with tour pros. I'm gonna give you an example in in my life, and then I'm gonna ask you. So you and I have been kind of doing our profession for about the same amount of time. You know, 19 years for you out on tour. I've been teaching for 19 years. I see... God bless you. You are well, an American hero. Well, th- you know, oh <laughs> I wouldn't God. go that far, but I appreciate it. No, you guys are the... Seriously, you guys are the unsung heroes because you guys are the... You guys are the reason as to why we have such intelligent people on this planet. Without, without you and teachers like you, we would... You guys are... People don't realize how important you guys are to society. And so, in my opinion, you guys should be calm thusly. Like, I, I can think of a lot of people that are, you know, very high up within our government that probably could have done with a little bit more teaching and probably should be donating their salaries to the likes of the teachers in this country. I can, uh, I can say that I agree with you 100% on that. But I can see the light at the end of the tunnel now. Do you know what I mean? Like, I have a retirement date. I know when I'm going to be done. What's that like for you being out on tour? Especially with kind of like, like this is literally a, a renaissance year for you. You had to go back to Q school, which was, you know, phenomenal. Like, that was, you know, big news. Like, Christina Kim, Solheim Cup hero, you know, multi-time winner on tour, like literally face of LPGA tour for a time being, author, et cetera, et cetera, has to go back to Q school. She does it, she grinds through, and then she comes out this year while the tour was still being held and and is playing great. Do you have an an, an end goal in sight? Is there, is there a time frame? Is there an age? Is there a, a, a monetary number you want to hit? What's your mindset with that? Wow. Um, my mindset, I mean, going back to Q series, like when I, when I realized at the end of the year that I had to go back to Q series, I said, all right, to hell with it. We're going to work our asses off until then and give it our best and do what we know we can do, you know? And, and I think I was very fortunate because I, like you'd said, you know, I played in three Solheim cups, three and oh in singles. I don't brag ever, but I will say I am three and oh in singles. And, you know, uh, um, you know, like you said, three-time winner on the LPGA Tour, five times worldwide. And I, for me, I just, I think that those experiences actually really helped me because I played like doo-doo that first week. And um, I very, very easily could have um, chosen to take the route of, oh, I'm not where I want to be on this leaderboard. Things have not been trending in my direction, this, that, whatever, whatever. But I said, you know what, to hell with it. Like, we're, we we made the cut, in essence, for this tournament. Now it's 
moving day and it's going to be moving day and it's going to be the 72nd hole for the rest of you know the rest of this tournament and you know thankfully i had someone come in and caddy for me which i caddied for myself that first week and god bless all the caddies in the entire world because that shit is hard and i had the little bag with me i i was oh my god that thing is like i was feeling it in my shoulders i was feeling it in my back but um that aside you know I, I just said, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate, not been in this particular situation before, but I've been in so many situations that some people might deem being more high intense. Cause when you're representing your entire nation going up against, you know, quote unquote, the enemy, which unfortunately a lot of times had to be some of my closest friends, you know, you just, you turn into a monster, you turn into this beast that you didn't even know you had in you. And I, you know, I, I, I ended up, you know, scrimping and scraping and clambering up that leaderboard got my tour card back I, I would always have uh status as you know tournament winner and um things like that but you know I, I told myself I said this is do or die like I you know in theory you want to end your career on your terms and if you don't get your card back through Q series that's not on your terms you're you're being forced to retire in essence and so i um you know i i, I was grinding the whole way through got around like leapt up the leaderboard considering where i was at one point and i just said you know it's all right the goal semi accomplished in a perfect world i would have you know finished as medalist but you know it didn't happen and got my card back though and i said okay new year new me let's just keep doing all the good things that you know you should be doing and just, you know, I mean, it's, it's funny, like a couple, a couple of years ago, like I think right before I won, um, the Lorena Ochoa Invitational presented by Banamex at the end of 2014, a reporter came up to me and was like, Hey, you know, now that you're, you know, in your thirties and I'm like, girl, I am 30. And he's like, yeah, <laughs> technically you're in your thirties. And I'm like, I, he was like, uh, you know, when, when do you think it's time for you to step aside and let, you know, the younger players and the players that, you know, I, I don't want to say are more deserving of being out here, but, you know, when do you think you're going to let the, the younger generation take over? And I'm like, at the time, I was just like, you know, I think at that point, you know, this was four years ago. I'm like, I think I'm at the halfway point of my career. Like, what? You, and I didn't think of this at the time. And I was like, it was like the, it was like, it was like the perfect Seinfeld um, kind of scene where, where George was talking about, you know, the, 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 uh, the shrimp and all that stuff. And I'm just like, you know, what I should have said to him, I should have turned around to him and be like, well, how old are you? You know, you're, you're in your fifties. How long have you been in journalism? And I'd be like, oh, well, don't you think it's time for someone with a younger, more current perspective to come in and take over your job? Don't you think you've been at the game long enough? But that, I mean, that would be super petty and super passive aggressive, you know, but I'm just like, <laughs> and he would have been like oh, aghast because he would have been like, oh, 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 but I have so much experience and, and I've been doing this my whole life. Like there's so much that I can do and so many things that I can do within my, um, you know, w within my abilities that these kids don't even have a grasp of. And I would have been like, thank you, sir. Next. But that would have been way too mean. So, um, yeah, I mean, to answer your question, you know, in a long winded, you know, sort of dragging way, I don't have a, I don't have a number of any sort. I don't have a, an end date. Um, I, you know, when I, when I really truly fell in love with the game, you know, when I was like 14, 15, I, told myself I want to play golf for the rest of my life. And it wasn't until I was almost 17 that I realized you could make money playing golf. Like, I just, when I was a kid, I was just always like, all right, I guess I'm just going to mooch off my parents and, you know, they're going to pay for me to play golf because that's, you know, that's all I knew at the time. I didn't understand, you know, 
things change when you become an adult and you have to all of a sudden you have a mortgage payment, you have car payments, you have bills like this, that, whatever. But I was just like, this is great. I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. So there's no reason why I can't still have that same mindset. I, I don't care how old anybody is. I don't care how young anybody is. Like it, it, in sort of a cold way, nobody else matters when it comes to my world and my golf. Like it's, it's something that's taken me a long time to realize because I've gone through some you know, huge changes in terms of the people that I choose to hang out with. Um, you know, I, I've, I've transformed the, the, the friend circle that I have, um, you know, weeding out to- toxicity and weeding out people that don't make me a better human being. And it's been for the better, you know, and, and I realized that I'm the only one whose opinion matters to me. Like, for the most part, I don't give a damn what anybody thinks about me. You know, when I turned pro, everyone said, you're never going to make it. Um, you're too young you should go to college, this, that, whatever, whatever. But I knew in, in my heart that I had enough belief in myself, in my abilities as a golfer, as a woman, as a human being to be able to achieve what I want to achieve. So their opinions never really mattered to me. But when you get people in your life that are toxic and that are very wishy-washy with their emotions and, you know, will, will pay attention to you when it's convenient for them, um, you know, you start to realize like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm giving so much to this relationship or friendship or whatever you want to call it and I'm I'm not it's not that I deserve to get something in return but just every now and again like just being like hey I saw you missed three cuts in a row are you okay you know like just because that's the kind of person I am I empathize with people I I pay attention to how people are doing in my world and I genuinely care about them enough to actually say you know whether I see someone going off the deep end in one way or another to, to be able to just give them pause and say, Hey, are you okay? No, are you really okay? Let's be adults and talk about this, you know? Um, so for me, there's no end, there's no end game here. Like, for, I mean, for all we know, we could, we could, you know, it's a bit morbid, but I could die tomorrow. Like I, I'm going to do what I want to do and I'm going to do what I love. And I'm very lucky to say that I love what I do and I'm able to do what I love. That was just something so many people are not able to say until 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 I collapse, whatever that may mean. Hey, what's good, podcast patrons? Dan from Leave the Pin here. Listen, if you want to look good on the course, if you want to hit the ball a mile and look damn good doing it, Gas House Golf is the company you need to get on board with ASAP. Gas House Golf, newest apparel company out there, making you look fantastic. Look, the shirts are fire, the hats are fire, everything they do, everything they touch looks great on the course. You want to stand out? You want people to notice you? you want people to notice your game? Get to GasHouseGolf.com. And right now, not only are they offering free shipping, they're also giving you an amazing 15% off code. Use our code, leave the pin, get 15% off all your purchases at GasHouseGolf.com. All gas, no break, GasHouseGolf.